You know what, as a pastor, there are some kind of like um, high life moments when, as being a pastor, things that you want to accomplish, things that you want to see happen. But particularly, it's the quality of, your, uh, of the people that you're doing life with. It's what's going on in their lives. And there are moments when you find out what's going on in the church's life, the people that are walking with you. And one of those moments is when you call on people to give. Now, I always loved it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is talking about a group of people out of the church of Macedonia because there was a terrible need that other Christians were having at this time. And the Macedonians kind of rose up and responded to it. And, I, and I've always been impressed, like, man, I'd like to be the pastor of a church like that. Let me just read to you the description of it. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I mean, begging to be a part of helping relieve the suffering of, of other Christians. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They honored God with their finances. And then they were also, by the will of God, gave to the ministry. I love this. I mean, this is a, this is a group of people that were in poverty, in affliction, but yet went above and beyond giving to the Lord and giving to the saints and the needs of the saints. I am so happy because I feel today like I'm the pastor of a church just like this. This has been a moment with compassion as we reached out to help 50 children. This has been one of those moments when you find out what's going on in the hearts of the people that are surrounding you. That we're not just talking about Jesus, but wherever we were in our lives that you responded to the needs of these children. Because we didn't just reach 50 children as we had hoped. We reached over 80 children through your generosity, your response. And if I can speak for God and also speak as the pastor of this church, it just makes my heart so, so proud that you responded in such a way to the needs of these children in compassion. Well done. Paul wrote it in one of his epistles, sending the letters out. Since last Sunday, it has just excited me and I've shared with others about what you have done to help the needs of children that you haven't even seen. Thank you so very much for responding to the Lord. Thank you so much for being the kind of church that any pastor would dream of having and being a part of. Well done. And I hope that you have a blessed Sunday. Absolutely, well done. We are so thankful to be able to be a part of such an amazing community of people who show radical generosity in a time where that is not common. And so thank you so much for being a part of Compassion Sunday last week. If you're new with us and you don't know what Compassion Sunday is, last week we had an opportunity to partner with Compassion and help support 
children who are in poverty. And not only that, but bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And so if you didn't have a chance to participate in that, we invite you, we still have a compassion table at the back today after service. We invite you to go back there and check that out. But thank you again for being a part of that. If you're new and you're wondering who I am, I am not Pastor Paul. <laughs> my name is Stacy McLean, and my husband Chris and I have been calling Crosstown our home for about 20 years now. And I also get the joy of being on staff and Pastor Paul and his wife Susan are enjoying incredible views of the Grand Canyon with some of their family this week. And so he's asked me to come and to speak today. Don't worry, I am pretty sure that we're all gonna get to see some pictures of the Grand Canyon because as creative as he is, I have a feeling that some of those phenomenal pictures will be used as sermon illustrations. They might be a little bit better than the one I used today, but hey, we'll see. The verdict is still out. Well, I wanna say grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have ever participated in the mentorship program that we have for women here, you have been greeted at the beginning of our meetings with grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have ever read any of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, you have been granted, greeted with the, letter, with the words, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. I love those words so much that I have them stitched on a pillow in my sunroom. I love those words so much that if you get an email from me, 95% of the time, I'm gonna end my email to you with grace and peace. However, as I started preparing for this message today, like the Lord always does, he said, what do those words really mean to you? Why do you really use those words? Do you understand the depth, the richness of those words? Because you see, I use those words for myself most often when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. When someone said, hey, Stacy, can you send this email? Can you go pick this person up? Can you go do this? And I forget, or I don't do it. I say, hey, grace and peace to me from the Lord Jesus Christ. Or when I gossip, or I am judgmental, or I am angry, or I lose my temper, I say, oh, but grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think for a lot of us, those words have kind of lost the richness of their meaning to us. Because I think for a lot of us, we tend to use the idea of God's grace as an excuse to continue sinning. The Apostle Paul says, shall we continue sinning so that grace may abound? Certainly not. But just the fact that I use the word sin, some of you are like, I'm way uncomfortable. This woman is talking about the word sin. I don't like the word sin. I don't like the word sin either. I'd rather just say, I messed up, I made a mistake. But scripture calls sin, sin. As a matter of fact, we can't keep denying it. 1 John 1.8 says this, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I think it's time this morning for us to stop deceiving ourselves. I have sinned, I sin. You have sinned, you sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And you may be thinking, well, she's crazy. I don't deny it. I know that I do things wrong. I know exactly what I did yesterday. I haven't stopped thinking about it. It's on my mind. It's the only thing I can think about. So you're like, I don't deny that I sin. 
right. We might not outright deny that we sin, but let me ask you this question. When is the last time you admitted to God or to, the, uh, to others around you that you did something wrong and you needed to be forgiven? You see, that's how I deny sin in my life. I'm not willing to take it to the one who has forgiven, will forgive, and can forgive me. I just try to hide it. I just try to conceal it. I don't actually wanna think about it. And I may say, grace and peace to me from the Lord Jesus Christ. But do I really understand what that is? I think for a lot of us, we just try to ignore it. And if that's you today, I wanna tell you, I am sorry that you're there because I have been there and I know how it feels. It's the worst place in the world to be. And so I want to invite you into the good news that I have to offer for you today. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the power of grace. You see, the grace that I sometimes fall into when I think, yeah, I know I'm forgiven, grace and peace to me from the Lord Jesus Christ, that kind of grace is not the same kind of grace that scripture is talking about. Grace and peace that scripture is talking about needs to be used in our lives to propel us forward, to move us forward. We've experienced grace, but have we experienced grace to a point where it propels us to change something about us, to actually believe that we are forgiven. I mean, actually believe that yes, all of that stuff that you have done, wiped away, forgiven, cleansed from all unrighteousness. Do we really believe that? See, that's the power of real grace. But we've been operating in what Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, calls cheap grace. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and in that he defined cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is without discipleship, grace without the cross, Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. It is grace that we bestow upon ourselves. It is not the gift of God. You see, the grace that God offers, the grace of scripture, the grace the apostle Paul starts almost every single letter of the New Testament with is what Bonhoeffer would call costly grace. This is the grace that cost Jesus Christ everything. The grace that scripture is talking about was very costly. Jesus took on the price for the forgiveness of our sins. And maybe that is like, okay, yep, I've heard that. I grew up in church, I know that. So let me tell you this story that may help you understand it. I wanna use this visual that may help you understand it a little bit better. About a month and a half ago, I had the opportunity to take a spring break trip with my daughter. And me and a few other girls went down to Isla Mirada, Florida, and we got to swim with dolphin. I don't know if any of you, anybody in here ever swim with dolphin? It is, yeah, it's a pretty amazing thing, I'm just gonna tell you. This time was really crazy because like we're in this, deep water can't touch and these dolphins are swimming around us and they're like okay this is the final thing each one of you are going to get in this water on your own and you are going to do experience a foot push from a dolphin a foot push 
from a dolphin. I was like, what is that? So let me show you, watch this clip. What you're doing is when you get to experience this, she's laying flat on the ground and her legs are out behind her and there is a dolphin on each of her feet pushing her forward. The only way she's moving is because these dolphins are moving her forward. And then watch as these dolphins come back and they leap out of the water. I want to propose to you today, that's the power of grace. And those dolphins that are jumping out of the water are grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ. You see, when I experienced that, I was blown away. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever experienced in my life. I was trying to be super cool because I was with my adult daughter and I am trying to make her think that she wants to be my friend. And so I'm like, that's cool, it's cool. And then I was like, oh my gosh, did you know how fast I was going in the water? I mean, each of my feet, but there's always a but, you guys. The problem with the dolphin push, if your legs are not straight and locked, you will not be propelled forward. If you relax your legs, if you relax your knees, the dolphin cannot push you forward. You have to lay flat on your back. You don't know where they are, they're under the water and your legs have to be straight out. And as your legs are out and your feet are up, the nose of the dolphin on the bottom of your foot propels you forward through the water. And thank goodness the dolphin hear the whistle because otherwise I'd have been like in Cuba or something. I mean, they are so, ridiculously powerful. And that is what Jesus offers to us, is that kind of power. He gives us that power. You see, I think this is what happens to so many of us. Instead of allowing the power of grace to propel us so that we can experience the peace of God, we recline, we relax in that grace. We want the forgiveness without the repentance. I mean, all day long, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus. But do you want to change? Do you actually want to change and start moving in a direction that is in line with God's word? We want community without accountability. Oh, I'll come to your small group until you get in my business and then I'm out. We want the cross without the cost. We want to be forgiven, but not changed. We don't want discipline. I mean, who this morning, if you knew you were coming to listen to me talk to you about discipline would be like, yes, let me get up early on a Sunday morning because I wanna talk about discipline. And some of us think other people are just born with personalities that lend to discipline. No, it is not natural for us. As a matter of fact, the, he, the author of Hebrews talks about it. It's a verse I used to say to my kids all the time when they were little, no discipline seems pleasant at the present time, but it will produce a harvest of righteousness for those who are trained by it. But that's really what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Discipline doesn't seem pleasant. It doesn't seem enjoyable. And then he goes on to say, after he tells them, hey, it's not, discipline doesn't seem fun, but it will produce that harvest of righteousness. He goes on to say in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 12, therefore, because it doesn't seem enjoyable, but it's gonna produce what it's supposed to, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone for the holiness, for with the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Do you see that? Straighten up. 
Don't relax into it. Don't recline into the grace of God. Don't use the words grace and peace, you're forgiven, as a time to just relax and do it over again. I lived my life like that for a really long time. And it's a miserable place to be. My cheap grace can cost not only me, but others around me. You see, as I've lived a life of experiencing cheap grace, yes, was I forgiven? Absolutely, was I going to heaven? Absolutely, no doubt about it. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. That is a declaration, you are declared righteous. But you may be reclining in that grace and not using it to push you forward. And that cheap grace is not only costing you, but it's costing those around you. And so I had to ask myself some really tough questions. Where am I allowing myself to experience the cheap grace of God and what is it costing me? <laughs> and just two weeks ago, I saw it really in my face. For me, one of the areas that God convicts me on are things that I watch on TV, the content of what I watch and the language of what I watch on TV. And um, I have a 15-year-old son and he and I were hanging out and I knew I shouldn't be watching this show and I knew I surely shouldn't be watching it in front of my 15-year-old son, but I was like, you know, it'll be fine. Everybody's doing it. So we watched this show and as we're watching it, God convicted me. And then I felt shame and embarrassment. How could I do that in front of my 15 year old? But it's done now. And so we just went to bed and I didn't talk about it. And I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. And I started praying and God said, you know what you gotta do? It's gonna cost you to go to your son Joshua and ask him for forgiveness. Admit to him that you weren't supposed to watch that in front of him or without him. And so the next day I said, hey Joshua, you know, man, I gotta be honest with you, God convicted me about what we watched last night and I am so sorry. You see, if I had not taken that step and moved towards asking Joshua to forgive me, it would have cost me my witness with my son. He knows I work at the church. He knows that I sometimes get up and teach people. He knows that I say that you're not supposed to put any vile thing in front of your eyes. Y'all, for goodness sakes, we got that verse in front of our TV. We literally have a verse in front of our TV that says, I will not put any vile thing in front of my eyes. Yet, here I am sitting with my 15-year-old watching some vile stuff. You see, if I had not asked for forgiveness from Joshua, first ask for forgiveness from God, and then go to Joshua, it would have cost me my testimony. I can tell Joshua all day long, don't watch anything you're not supposed to. I might say that to him every day when he leaves my house in a little bit more forceful of a way. I can say that all day long, but I had to do the work. I had to actually ask him to forgive me so that it didn't cost me my testimony and my witness with my son. As I've been talking this morning, God's probably been bringing to mind some things in your life where you are experiencing cheap grace. And so maybe we need to start asking him, what is it gonna cost? Like, what's it costing me? You may know that you have been walking in cheap grace and not really experiencing the power and the peace of God in your life. You probably know that. But what you may not be aware of is what it's costing you. And so what I want you to begin asking God is for God to reveal to you what it has cost you. And for some of you, maybe it's cost you relationships. 
Maybe it's cost you his peace. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you can't think of the last time that your heart was calm, at rest, and full of peace. It's either been full of anger or resentment or jealousy or disappointment or fear or anxiety. Maybe for you, it's cost you his joy. Maybe for you, you can't remember the last time you felt the joy of the Lord where he just delights over you and he sings over you and he declares that you're righteous. Maybe you just can't remember that. Maybe it's like me and it's costing you your witness with your teenagers or your coworkers or your boss. Costly grace was bought for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews reminds us when he's talking about Jesus in Hebrews four, starting in verse 15, he says this about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You see, Jesus Christ took on flesh just like us and he can sympathize with our weaknesses, but yet he was perfect and without sin. And so because we have Jesus, who's a forerunner, who's gone before us, we, through Jesus Christ, can draw near to the throne of grace with boldness, with boldness in our hearts. I am not standing in front of you because I do things better or I'm a better person. No, it's because I understand the power of grace in my own life. And when I mess up, I draw boldly to the throne of grace. And that's what he's offering for us. As a matter of fact, this past Wednesday was actually a really powerful service. We did our encounter service, which is what we do on the first Wednesday of every month. I highly encourage you to come and be a part of that. It is a time where we gather together and we allow the Holy Spirit to do what no teacher could ever do, no human teacher could ever do. And Pastor Paul led us through a time of prayer and confession. And it was powerful. I know that seems scary. I know that seems crazy. I know that seems like, what in the world? Why would we wanna do that? But see, I think so many of us, we are afraid to let other people in on our struggles. We don't want to talk about having to confess our sins. We wanna hide our sins. We want to do exactly what Adam and Eve did, try and hide from God. You are not hidden from him. You are not hidden from him. He sees you and he loves you. He loves you. Yes, every bit of you. So don't believe the lie that you're hiding it from anyone or that your sin doesn't have effect on anybody else. I promise you, your sin affects those around you. One of the most common prayers that I pray for my family, God, please reveal to me the areas of my life where I sin and don't let that sin affect my family. But it does. Your sin has effect on other people. Hebrews 12, two actually tells us that it was for the joy that was set before cross, before Christ, that he endured the cross and he despised the shame. You see the part of confession, when we can say to God, forgive me for watching that vile thing on TV, it replaces shame with humility. I'm gonna tell you, 
There is no stronger place to build humility than when you, as a middle-aged mom who works as a professional Christian, has to look into the eyes of your 15-year-old and say, will you forgive me? But it took the shame away and it replaced it with humility when we practice confession. God is inviting you today to trade your shame for humility. He's inviting you to trade your guilt for joy. That's what the power of grace does. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. So today, if you are here and you have spent the last decade of your life or the last week of your life or the last 18 hours of your life trying to hide your sin from others and from God, I want to remind you and encourage you what again the author of Hebrews says, there is not a single creature hidden from his sight. He sees you today and he says you are invited in. Confess your weaknesses. Confess your sin to God. It isn't this thing that we have in our minds that's like terrible. No, it is refreshing when we repent. It says the kindness of God leads us to repentance and it brings about a time of refreshing for us. But some of you are thinking, yeah, but it's the other people's sin that's hurt me so bad. I understand that too. Some of you are in really difficult marriages, really, really hard situations. Maybe some of you are facing job situations that are impossible. Maybe some of you have been victimized. Maybe some of you have been betrayed, mistreated, maligned, judged, treated poorly. Maybe some of you have been abandoned by the people that were supposed to care for you the most. And I want you to know, God sees that. But instead of using those reasons as an excuse to hide and to continue doing bad behavior, God is asking you today, stop using all of those things that have happened to you as excuses for your bad behavior. He is inviting you today to step in to the power of grace. He wants to give you this power that will propel you forward. Today is a day where you are to stop reclining and relaxing and continuing sinning so that grace may abound. Certainly not. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, it says some have received the grace of God in vain. They've failed to obtain the grace of God. Some of us in this room, are we are saved and going to heaven, but we are experiencing hell on earth. He doesn't want that. He wants you to experience abundance and blessing and it only comes through costly grace. Choosing costly grace is gonna cost you your self-interest, may even cost you some relationships, it may cost you your money, it's gonna cost you your time and it's definitely gonna cost you your pride. <laughs> Choosing costly grace means to enter into discipleship. What is that? That's saying yes to following Jesus. That's time to stop hiding and time to start communing with other believers. It's time to say yes to Jesus. For some of you, you've never done that. And Matthew 16, 24 says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Today is a time for you to say yes to Jesus. And if that's yes for the very first time, I'm gonna give you my life. 
We invite you to do that today. We're gonna lead into a time of expressions here in just a minute. And during that time, if you have never accepted the invitation of Jesus Christ as Savior of your life and Redeemer and Messiah, we invite you today to join our pastors and elders at the back. For some of us today, it's the call to stop hiding. We think that we're hiding. (laughs) We think that we are. We think that we're doing better by not acknowledging our sin. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgression, his sin, will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Stop hiding today. Be honest with God. Find somebody else who's walking on this path with the Lord that you can share that with. It is transformative power. Or maybe today for you, it's a time to start communing with other believers, to really get into community with accountability with other believers. Listen to again what the author of Hebrews says in 1024. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see... Days are coming, says the Lord in Amos chapter nine. And he says, I promise you, I will restore you, but you have to repent. You have to confess. But he says in Amos nine, there are days that are coming and it is gonna be so bountiful and the fruit in your life and in your land is gonna be so prosperous. You won't be able to harvest it fast enough. That is the assurance of the promise that God has given to us today so that we don't have to live under this cheap grace of I'm saved and going to heaven, grace and peace to me, so that we can live radically abundant lives to be propelled into peace and joy and love into the lives around us. Because in the same way that my sin leads to sin in other people's lives, my walk with God and the power of God in my life has the ability to encourage others to do the same thing. And so today, we're about to head into this moment of expressions. And as we do, we're gonna give you an opportunity to come and to receive communion. And for you today, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to come and sit at the table of Jesus Christ where he poured out his blood and sacrificed his body for the forgiveness of sins. And maybe you need to be reminded that there was a cost to that. Or maybe today, It is time to stop hiding. Whatever that thing is that is just eating you up inside, write it down, nail it to the cross and receive mercy in your time of need. Or maybe today is a day where you make that declaration of faith. Wherever you are today, you are asked to make a choice to receive the costly grace of God or not. And I wanna be real clear in love and tell you, if you don't make a choice today, you made the wrong choice. Forfeiting the choice is making a choice. And so I just want to encourage you today, respond to what God is saying. We're gonna move into this moment of expression and we're gonna invite his spirit to minister to us today. Just sit in silence for a few seconds and ask the Lord, where have I experienced your cheap grace and what is it costing me? And once he reveals that to you, respond to God who is inviting you in to be empowered with grace and peace. God, I thank you that we can come before you, that we can come in your presence this morning 
and that we can receive your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you that you are in all situations and you are with us in this moment. It is not an accident that we ended up here on this Sunday morning talking about the power of your grace. So Father, allow us to experience that grace that will propel us forward and help us to put it down today that today is the day that we will move forward in that grace, accepting your peace, receiving your joy. Father, I thank you so much for the way that you love us and that you meet with us day after day, hour after hour, failure after failure. Father, that you continue to remind us you love us and you are calling us in yet again. We pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty and holy name.